Well, it looks like uh, I was going to have my first pleasure in, in, in just dismissing the kids, but they, obviously they were ready to go. So they're already gone and into Cornerstone Kids. So um, be in prayer in the back of your head for Michael and Brooke. Uh, there's a lot of them back there. So um, if you brought a Bible to church this morning, go ahead and open it to the book of Ephesians. We're going to uh, be in chapter 5 this morning. And um, this is the 25th sermon in the book of Ephesians. We have, uh, I don't know, seven or eight more to go. And then uh, we're going to do a Advent series, a short Advent series. And uh, I think next year, something special lined up. Probably Old Testament, we'll see. Um, Ephesians chapter 5. If you uh, brought a Bible, go ahead and turn it there now. If you didn't bring a Bible with you to church this morning, don't sweat it. We've got one provided for you in the pew ahead of you. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, just uh, that one's on the house. You can take that one with you and uh, follow along with us. We'll be on page 675 of the pew Bible. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to pray. We're just going to pick up where we left off a week ago. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. Look carefully, then, how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Father, I'm feeling a little over my head on this one, and I ask for your guidance. I'm not what your people need. My words are not what your people need to be transformed. Your words are what they need. And so I ask God that you would speak clearly this morning through your scripture to their heart. I pray that you would remove from us distractions and the the, the fog that seems to settle over our life and keep us from seeing your majesty and wonder. God, I ask that you would shine the light as you promised you would last week in Ephesians 5.14, that you would shine. Christ would shine. I pray that you would shine on us this morning and allow us to see Jesus. Allow us to take our gaze away from the things of the week, of the worries and concerns of our heart, and to put our trust and our faith and our hope in God's Son, Jesus the Christ, our Lord and, and Savior, in Jesus' name. And for Jesus' praise, Cornerstone said, Amen. All right, Ephesians was a letter that was written about 30 years or so after Jesus died and resurrected and ascended into heaven. It was written by a short, bald Jewish guy named Paul. 
who couldn't see so well. And he wrote uh, one, one, this is one of his letters that he wrote to some churches. This one in the town of Ephesus, which is in modern day Turkey. He wrote 13, maybe 14 letters of this sort. And uh, this particular one, in my opinion, is pound for pound one of the greatest letters that Paul ever wrote. And if you remember from uh, weeks previous, the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians are really all about what God has done and really nothing having specific application to our life, like what we're to do with that. The first three chapters really just what God did for us, why God did it, and saving us. Even though that we were undeserving and ill-deserving of His grace, He showed it to us anyway, and He showed us His love and showed us His favor because He was glorious and wonderful and good and just wanted to show how glorious His grace was. And so He saved us, and He made us a part of this new family, made us a part of this church, and then in chapter 4 through the rest of the book, He gives us some real practical things about what we're to do with that. So chapters 1, 2, and 3, it's really just about what God did. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 are really about our response to what God did. Okay, so we learned last week that sanctification, the process of becoming, becoming like Jesus, of putting off sin and putting on righteousness of Christ, this is responsive. It's as a result of what God has already done. Then we do. And so we looked at verse 8, chapter 5, verse 8, where it says, you are light in the Lord. And then he says, go act like you're light in the Lord. So he's already made you a Christian, so now go act like a Christian. And I made this point, that you don't act like a Christian in order to become a Christian. You, you, you are made a Christian, and so you act like one. So the order is very important for us. So, it's, so, so holiness and, and sanctification, it's a response and last week, just take a, take a second and read this with me. Verse 15, rather 14. Ephesians 4, 5, 14 says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. So here's the big idea. Because God saved you, he gave you a purpose. And that purpose is to make much of Jesus everywhere you go. So if you work in a hospital, then you make much of Jesus in the hospital. If you work in a uh, factory, you make much of Jesus in a factory. If you live in Piqua, you make much of Jesus in Piqua. If you live in Sydney, same thing. If you go to Bangladesh, you make much of Jesus in Bangladesh. And people see your good deeds, see Jesus through you, and they're drawn to him. That's the great purpose of your life. That's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 28 when he said, go make disciples. He says, Just be like me. Just think like I think, act like I think, walk like I walk, have the greater purpose of God, and people see the light that's shining through you, and they'll be drawn to me. And what's, I think, so significant about this is that Ephesians is, is in, in many ways, kind of rewriting lines of code in us, and allowing us to think as we should think. You see, you see before Jesus saved you, you really, your life was built around just doing things for yourself, of, of accumulating things that you felt like would, co- would comfort you or would bring you peace or bring you happiness. And so you would live and work and do in order to be comfortable and to be happy and enjoy things. But then when Jesus saved you, he replaced that lower purpose with the greater purpose, which is to serve the, the presentation of his, of his gospel, to, to, to praise the glory of his grace. And so those other things are good and okay, but they serve the greater purpose, which is to make much of Jesus in your life. And so this is responsive. This is uh, living in such a way, and Paul's about to go into this in verse 15. He's saying, in light of that, in light of what God has made you, in light of the mission that God has given you to make much of his name wherever you are, in light of that, 
Verse 15. Look carefully, then, how you walk. Look carefully how you walk. The literal, that's the literal translation. I, I read from the ESV, which is a more literal translation. If you have NIV or something, it'll probably say, uh, be careful how you live, which is the same idea. Be careful how you live. In light of what God has, in light of the mission that God has given to you, in light of God selecting you, choosing you, saving you, in light of that, be careful how you live. Because of the mission that God has given you, it's important that you know how to live, that you live the right way. Be careful how you live. He's saying, make sure you're doing the right things. He's saying, make sure that you're building your life on the right foundation. Or just like Brent prayed a few minutes ago, that you're, you're utilizing the resources that God has given you in the right way. Remember, he saved you from that life of accumulating comforts and accoutrements. And he saved you from that and gave you a greater purpose. Make sure that you're building your foundation on that purpose. On that thing. To see his glory worked out through your life. And this is a difficult thing. And it cuts across the grain for us because um, we're Americans. Hey, our DNA is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's the, the declaration of independence. That's how we got started. I reject your way. I want to make happiness my way. And so it, it cuts across the grain for us. Because we're not the center of our universe. God is the center, and his purposes are greater than our purpose. They've superseded our own. And we learned earlier in this, ver in this book, uh, I think one of the most fundamental and, and, and encouraging things, which is that God has built it in such a way that your joy, the joy that you have in your life is commensurate with the amount of glory that God gets from your life. What I mean is that the more God is glorified in you and through you, the more joy you experience in your life. These two things are married together. They are always connected. That when you have more of God being glorified in you, you'll find more joy in life. I don't mean happiness. I mean joy. Happiness is never commanded in Scripture, but joy is. You ever think about that? That you serve a God who commanded you to be joyful. Rejoice in the Lord always. He commanded you to be joyful. And so, right here at the beginning, if you have your connection card, that little bit on your connection card, here's what I would ask you to do on the back side. There's three application points. Here's your first application point. We're just going to get this one out of the way right away. On, your, on point one, here's what I ask you to write down. I would ask you to write three words. Invest, reject, and redeem. Invest, reject, and redeem. Here's your application to do this week. 
You should take out a piece of paper. Take, take some, mo- some time this week, and here's what I would ask you to do. Right? We're just going to get this one out of the way right at the beginning. Take a piece of paper this week. Open up your Bible. Get before the Lord. Pray. Get your heart ready to receive from the Lord. Take out a piece of paper and draw two lines down the middle. And then, uh, uh, so two lines. You're going to have three columns. On the one column on the left-hand side, you're going to write invest. And in the middle, you're going to write reject. And on the far right, you're going to write redeem. Invest, reject, and redeem. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to take a few moments before the Lord. Let the Holy Spirit kind of open your heart. And then I want you to just take all the things that kind of categorize your life and put them in one of those three columns. In the invest column, these are things that lead you to Jesus. Try and think very binary like this. Does this lead me to Jesus or does this lead me away from Jesus? Some of the things are going to be gray and some of the things you're not going to know where to put. Does this thing in my life, like Bible study and prayer, going to church, singing worship songs, whatever it is, spending time with my family, loving my spouse, those things, they lead me closer to Jesus. They, it's, it's God's work in my life. Put those in the invest column. And then the reject column, obviously those will be things in your life that like, hey, why am I so hanging on this? And then write that in there. These would be sinful things, or maybe not necessarily sinful things, but just things that lead you away from God. And you're going to reject those things. And then in the other column, you're going to save that one for just stuff you're not sure. I like to golf. Where the heck do I put golf? Does that lead me to Jesus? Does it lead me away from Jesus? I like to deer hunt. Does that lead me to Jesus? Does it lead me away from Jesus? I don't know where that goes. So I'm going to put that over here. And so you're, going to, you're just going to look at your life, just kind of take an evaluation of your life. And then you're going to look at this verse, and you're going to be like, Look carefully then how you walk. Where are my resources being directed? Are they being directed towards things that I should invest in or things that I should be rejecting? We're going to come back to that in a moment. Be careful how you walk, what you build your life on. There's, I think, some urgency in these verses. There's some urgency in these verses. I don't know if you guys are like me, but this is confession time. My heart is so given over to frivolities. Just stupid things. Things that don't mean anything. Useless, wasteless things. Wasteful things. Things that I'll invest my time and my energy and my money into these things that have no eternal value whatsoever. If I just go at my life, my week, if starting tomorrow, I just live my life like I feel like living my life without really any intentionality at all, I promise you my heart will go towards frivolous things, things that mean nothing at all. I will invest my time and my mental thoughts and my energies into things that don't matter at all, things that should probably go into the reject column, or maybe at least things that go into the redeem column. And despite Scripture warning us time and time again to don't build your life on wood, hay, and stubble, things that will be burned up, Jesus himself even saying, lay up treasures for yourself in heaven, not on earth. Paul going in in Colossians 3 saying, set your mind on things above, not things below. But yet we, we tend to want to invest ourselves in things that have no eternal value, none at all. And so what I'm challenging you this week with is, Look at your life in a very binary way and look at it and say, 
Is this leading me to Jesus? If I invest my time and my energy into this thing, does it lead me to Jesus, fulfilling God's purpose in my life, or is it leading me away? That's not an excuse to quit your job. Just so you know, that lousy, filthy boss of mine, he's not leading me to Jesus. Reject column. No. God placed you there to be a light to that jerk of a boss. And so he goes into the invest column. Let's keep reading. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So then Paul can proceeds from this point to give us three contrasting points. Three contrasting points on how to live the mission, how to look carefully at your life. And the first contrasting point he gives us is this. Don't be unwise, be wise. Don't be unwise, be wise. So you're going to need some wisdom. In order to utilize your resources in a way that feeds God's purpose in your life, you're going to need some wisdom. We're going to need a tremendous amount of wisdom. Which is good news, because we have a God who's wise, and who says in Jesus' brother James, he, he says in, in chapter 1 of his, I think it's verse 5-ish or something, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives, without, without any preferential treatment, he just gives freely. If you need wisdom in this, how do I invest my life? How do I, what do I focus on? What do I, what's God's purpose for me? How do I manage my resources? If you need some help navigating those questions, you just ask the Lord. Don't be unwise, be wise. Go get wisdom. And the place to find wisdom, just ask God in prayer. And ask for a revelation of Jesus because, because the Colossians says, in Jesus is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So you need the, the Holy Spirit to help you how to walk wise. And then Paul says, verse 16, make the best use of your time because the days are evil. Make the best use of your time because the days are evil. Your Bible may read the redeeming time, which is really what it means. We have that saying, uh, you buy yourself some time. It's kind of, kind of what is meant there. He says the days are evil. The world isn't living for the purposes of God and will, if you let it just distract you from God's purpose in your life. And so he hones in on this issue of time. He hones in on this issue of time. And I know this is because Paul's a realist. He's a human. He's just like you and I. He's prone to give himself over to wastefulness, same as you and I are. Prone to spend his days in frivolity and just silliness and things that have no eternal weight or value. And time is a limited resource. And of all the resources in the world, I think time is the one we waste the most. Here's something you can try and do. Look at your, your, your calendar, your schedule. Kind of look over your calendar f- for the next week. Just starting Monday and going through next, next weekend. 
Schedule everything down to a half an hour increment. Print out one of those online calendars, just a week calendar. Print it out and put every single activity on it. You want to sleep eight hours? Put your sleep time on there. You go to work, put your work schedule on there. You got extracurriculars? Put those on there. Whatever you're into eating, put it in there. You, 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 I, I don't know, you want to go to the coffee shop and read Nicholas Sparks' book? Fine, put it in there. You want to exercise? Put it on there, right? It'll feel like this much of your calendar if it's me. Um, your commute, put your commute on there. Put everything on there. Time hanging out with your family, put it on there. Schedule everything down to the half hour. And I promise you, you'll have this startling revelation. You are exceedingly wasteful with your time. I promise. Somebody's like, I don't have any free time. Pastor, I, I have zero free time. Test me on it. Test me. Put your calendar, write it out, and you'll find, I didn't have any time to read the Bible this week. You had plenty of time to read the Bible. Okay? You spent six hours of your time on your phone doing whatever with apps. Just silliness and frivolity and just giving yourself over to just things that matter to nothing at all. And it's fine to have free time. I'm not saying you should go like religious and, and don't have free time. Have a good time. Put your free time on there. Hey, give yourself 10 hours of free time. If you're a floor, there's going to have to be like 25 hours of running time that you put on that calendar, right? Per day. Per day. <laughs> the idea here is not to be religious about it, but to look carefully how you live and to redeem the time. To redeem the time because the mission of God is that important. The mission of God, let me just say that again. The mission of God in your life is that important. That you would go bonkers about your calendar. That you would look at your calendar for the next week and think to yourself, how is it that I'm investing in things that God gets glory from, that God does his purpose in my life through my life? It affects your calendar. It's that important. Verse 18. Therefore, because the days are evil, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He says, don't be an idiot. Figure out what God's will is. Figure out what God is meaning to do. Figure out what God's great plan is. That's the next contrast. Don't be a fool. Figure out what God wants from your life. And I think some of us put like this kind of what is the will of God for my life and shroud this in some kind of mystery that maybe I have to like climb a mountain or something and then somehow there's going to be a bush that catches on fire and he's going to tell me. But the reality is uh, the Bible is replete with statements about what God's will is for your life. You understand? Chapter 1, if you, if you need to know, go back to chapter 1 in Ephesians, and he tells you straight up. The will of God in your life is to unite all things in Christ, to the praise of the glory of the grace of God. It is all about making Jesus primary, preeminence of Christ. That's the point of your life. That's God's will for your life. God's will is that he would be preeminent, that he would be first, that he would unite all things in your life in Christ, that everything that you do 
Everything you think would be about Jesus, about magnifying Jesus, making much of God in your life, through your life. That's it. There's no mystery here. God wants his son glorified. That's what he's doing. And so if you work in a hospital, that's what you do. You make much of Jesus. If, if you work in the food service industry, that's what you do. You make much of Jesus. If you own a business, you use that business to glorify God. It's not that difficult. It's pretty clear in Scripture. And God will direct you towards His will. God will direct you towards His will. Your vocation, your location. I've said for years that I think God is less concerned about your vocation and location, which is how we always frame his will. But he's more concerned about your sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4 says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. And we try to couch terms of the will of God in terms of, do I go be a missionary in Bangladesh? Or do I become a teacher? But the will of God is primarily about your sanctification. And when you're sanctified, meaning when you do what God has called you to do and be what God has called you to be, he's going to place you in Bangladesh. He's going to place you at a school. He's going to place you at a hospital. He's going to place you at Cracker Barrel. He's going to place you where he placed you. And you be sanctified right there. And he'll work his will through you. Third contrast, verse 18. Don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. This seems so random. Right? Don't be unwise, be wise. Don't be a fool, have understanding, don't get drunk. You're kind of like, wait a minute, what what does alcohol have anything to do with God's great purpose in my life? And the answer to that question is, he answers that question for that is debauchery. If you're, um, you may have a different translation, may say dissipation. It just means wasteful. It just means wasteful. God's given you a mission to make much of Jesus in your life, through your life, to advance the gospel here, to advance the gospel there. That's God's purpose for your life. Hey, you can't do that when you're blasted. Your faculties are impaired. Your mind is impaired. You can't do what God has called you to do when you're drunk. And so Paul says, hey, Live your life in such a way that you're responsible with your resources, one of them being your brain, your mind. And so, if, if, if you can't take a drink of alcohol without going after a buzz, don't drink. Let's imagine a situation where you, you're, you're at home it's Saturday night or whatever you're just chilling I mean nobody's around so it doesn't the, the whole Romans issue of like your brother seeing you drink and then falling into sin that doesn't apply because you're just by yourself it's you and your, your spouse or just whatever just hanging just chilling and you like to have a drink and that's fine have a drink just drink it and you start getting a buzz you start getting a little tipsy let's imagine a situation where all of a sudden this guy that you've been working with sharing the gospel with gives you a call and says hey I broke my car can you come and get me I can't get in my car. I'm drunk. Or what if somebody calls you up and says, hey, I'm really struggling with this. I'm really struggling here. Can you, my wife and I just got in this huge fight. Can you pray with me? 
And you can't put words together very well because you're slurring your speech. Are you serious? That's why it's debauchery. Because of what's at stake here. God's mission working through you. This, he, he says, don't get drunk with wine. But you know, the principle applies to more than that. And I have to say this because here in a few weeks, we're going to all vote on whether or not to make recreational marijuana legal in this state. And I have to say this as a pastor. Because I get this question. Is it sinful? When, 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 if Ohio votes yes or whatever, no, I don't know how it's going to work. But if Ohio votes to make recreational marijuana legal in Ohio, is it a sin for a Christian to smoke dope? And the answer is resoundingly yes, it is. What is the point except to get high? The principle is the same, you see. Someone calls you up and you're just toasted. You can't fulfill God's purpose in that moment. God, as a follower of Jesus, we ought to live our lives in such a way that there are certain things that we just don't participate in, legal things that we don't participate in for the sake of God's mission. Because we've been called to a higher calling. Yeah, let's move on from that point. Verse 18 again. Don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And you know, he's going to go on from this point, verse 19 down to to verse 21, and he's going to give us four things, four indications that the Spirit is working in your life, that your life is Spirit-filled, to use that phrase. Be filled with the Spirit. If a life of drunkenness leads to uselessness, the Spirit-filled life leads to a life characterized by four things, which he then gives us in the following verses. Verse 19, first thing. Which, by the way, if you're just going to stop here, <laughs> if you're going to, if you just stopped right there, verse 18, and you couldn't, you couldn't see what verse 19, 20, and 21 is about to say, and I just ha- asked you a question, I said, what does it look like, give me four indications that you're s- filled with the Spirit. Four indications. And if, you know, you're, you're talking to a Baptist, they're probably going to say, well, you're reading the Bible a lot, you know, going to church a lot and all that stuff. Sharing the faith a lot, maybe that's one of them. You talk to a Pentecostal, they're going to well, you're spirit-filled people. They, they all speak in tongues. Nobody understands. That's, that's the mark of being filled with the Spirit. Look at these four things that Paul gives you. The first thing, addressing one another in hymns, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart. The, the first two things, s- speaking and singing. Two marks that you're filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another and singing. So the first evidence of a Spirit-filled life, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Presumably, Paul's talking about us gathering together as God's people and singing songs, just like we did a few minutes ago. 
Presumably that's probably what he's talking about. It may, it may refer to more than just that, but certainly he's talking about us getting together, singing some psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Probably talking about congregational singing. But I want you to notice something. Let me ask you this question. Look carefully at verse 19. To whom are these psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms, songs addressed? To who are they addressed? What does your Bible say? One another. One another. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. There are two things that are significant about that. Two significant points about these things being addressed to one another, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Because they're addressed to one another, they need to be intelligible. They need to be understandable. So when we choose songs, when Corey, that week, he prays about what songs to do for the week, they need to make sense. They need to be in English. Okay, he can speak Spanish, but he's not doing us any benefit by doing a worship set in Spanish, right? They need to be intelligible. They need to be using language that makes sense to us. So sometimes you'll find worship songs that are out there that are so metaphorical, they're so ethereal that you just can't really understand what's trying to be said by that. So we, we just need to be careful about those songs. Make sure it's understandable. Because it's addressed to one another. We need to be able to understand it. And the second thing I'll say about psalms and hymns and spiritual songs being addressed to one another is this. And this may offend some of you. It offended me for a long time till I repented of it. But I realized that from this verse... Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs being addressed to one another means this. In a congregational setting, when we pick up some music and we start playing music, the primary point and purpose of singing songs in a worship setting, in a congregational setting, is not to fulfill your personal worship time before Jesus. That offended me. Because I like to sing songs to Jesus. I like to just get lost in songs. And you know, if I'm honest, I would be offended in situations where in a congregational setting, the worship leader didn't go with a song for as long as I felt like because I was starting to get there. Like I was just, you know, in the groove of the song and just be like, all right, I'm just, you know, almost to the throne room of Jesus, just trying to experience God and really just intimate worship with God. And then I, he would just stop and go on to the next song and I feel like I was wrenched out of that presence. And I would be so offended because I thought that congregational worship was a, my personal worship time before Jesus. It, it was all about me being able to get into the presence of the Lord. But that's not what this verse says. This verse says we're addressing one another. The purpose, the primary purpose of worship in a congregational setting is to teach each other the gospel. We're addressing one another. So we sing songs that make sense, that recite the gospel. We sing songs that retell the story of Jesus on the cross, dying for sin, retelling it, re-singing it. Hey, go get lost in worship. Raise your hands. Love to sing to Jesus. But just understand, the primary purpose of singing is to address one another, to teach one another the gospel narrative. One quick point and we'll move on. 
Notice in this verse, it is singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart, with your heart, rather. So it's, it's not the vocal cords that are making the song. It's your heart. It's your heart. And so those of us in this room with lousy voices, raise your hands, say, praise Jesus. It's about, it's about my heart, right? God, you, you, you really concerned with my heart. I heard one guy say that, uh, you know, God is tone deaf. I don't think he's tone deaf. He's probably like uh, tone sensitive or, you know, tone tolerant. He's tone tolerant, but he certainly has his hearing just fine. So the idea here is that we're making songs. They come from here. They don't come from here. They come from here. They come from your heart. Third evidence. So the first evidence is, is talking, is, is, is addressing one another. The second evidence was singing. And the third evidence is the Spirit's work in your life. Uh, the, the third evidence of the Spirit's work in your life is in verse 20, and that's thanksgiving. Verse 20. Giving thanks always. What does it mean to be Spirit-filled? Give thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. As Christians, we thank God for everything. You ever been with a Christian and like you drove to the mall and they thanked God for a good parking spot? Anybody ever? And, you, and you're sitting there thinking like, really? Like the eternal God of heaven's armies has orchestrated the entire course of human history such that you would have preferential parking at the mall. You, you really think that? Yeah. Yeah, I think that too. I think that God prefers me to have a nice parking spot sometimes. And when I have a nice parking spot, I thank God. What a great parking spot. What about the times when you have to go all the way to the back? I thank God that I have a walk to all the way to the mall to burn off some calories because I'm going to spend it on Starbucks or something. I, I just thank God that I have a good parking spot. I thank God that I have a bad parking spot. As a Christian, you thank God for everything. Everything. Thanksgiving, if you're following along on the back of your program, Thanksgiving is the expression of the soul's satisfaction in Christ. When we're not thankful, usually those moments when we're complaining, it's because we've allowed our heart to lose its satisfaction in Christ. It's attempted to replace Jesus as the sole source of satisfaction with something else which could never fill it anyway. And so Thanksgiving is just your soul's way of saying, you satisfy me. Thank you for this parking space. And it's important that Paul didn't write, give thanks when things are going well. Give thanks when you're in good health. Give thanks when you've overcome, overcome temptation. Hey, for sure give thanks during that time. And for sure give thanks when you're sick, when you had a lousy week. When you had to terminate someone at work. For sure give thanks. Even when you're sick. 
Because as a follower of Jesus, your soul's satisfaction is in Christ on the cross and everything that he has done for you. Give thanks in all things. We tend to just take our our eyes off of God in heaven and put them down in our situation, don't we? It's real easy to do that. Everybody does it. And so God gives us these gems in Scripture. Like Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but you? My soul desires no one but you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. (laughs) Give thanks. Give thanks. You know, and and when, I, I love the Psalms because they're so real. Anybody read the Psalm and be like, this guy's neurotic. And then find yourself just a couple of days later being that neurotic, just like the psalmist. But they're so real. They're so gritty. Why are you so downcast? Put your hope in God. You know, right after that verse down there, he says, remember God. You see, we we tend to just, we become like Eeyore type Christians. You know what I'm talking about? Like Eeyore, that donkey. We're just kind of, well, saved by grace through faith. Sin's forgiven. Going to heaven forever. But my cable got shut off. I mean, really? I mean, you're saved by grace forever. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus died on the cross for your sins and resurrected on the third day. And your cable got shut off and that, that ruins your day. Really? But that's life in this earth, isn't it? Philippians 4. I love this verse. I think it's verse 6 and 7. I just hope you know how powerful giving thanks in all things really is in your life. There's a door to inexplicable peace in your life. And the key to unlock that door is thanksgiving. That's not psychological gymnastics. That's Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see how the peace of God is a result of you trusting in the Lord and and thanking him for all things? Fourth and final evidence. We're round and third, headed for home. Verse 21. Verse 21. Fourth evidence of a spirit-filled life is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting. It's pretty much everyone's favorite word. As an American, that's pretty much your favorite word. You love to submit. You're really good at it. It just comes natural to submit. And this verse is a bit of a hinge, and we're going to, it's kind of a layup for next couple of weeks. We're going to be talking about submitting to one another and what that looks like in the terms of a home, okay? So the next few weeks are going to be super offensive. But I, I'm trying not to offend you, but I'm just going to give you what the Bible says. We're going to be talking about womanhood, biblical womanhood. We're going to be talking about biblical manhood. 
We're going to be talking about how do you submit to one another in terms of a business, like you're a boss. How do you submit to one another in terms of being an employee? That's how it's laid up for the next few weeks. So I hope you come back. Um, but this is a bit of a hinge, and we're going to kind of explore what this means later. But I, the point I wanted to make out of this one here is that the motivation for submission in the life of a follower of Jesus is reverence for Jesus. You see that? Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. There was only one person who has ever lived who shouldn't have had to submit. And yet he submitted. In the Garden of Gethsemane, your Savior prayed, Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. It was the ultimate act of submission. If anyone deserved to not be punished for sin, it was Jesus, and he submitted to the will of the Father to go to the cross. If anyone deserved to not be ashamed, it was Jesus, and he submitted to the Father and brought shame. Jesus in the garden was the ultimate act of submission. And our submission to one another is responsive to him. Look, I don't like it either. I don't like submission. It's not fun. My ideas are always better. And yet, who am I to say I won't submit in light of Jesus in the garden submitting to the Father in order to save me from my lack of submission. And so it's natural. It's a fruit of the Spirit's work in your life. You submit out of reverence to Jesus. Keep your Bible in your hand and stand to your feet. Corey, if you can come back up, Mary. Here's what we like to do at the end of the We've got five minutes left. Here's what we like to do at the end of our, of our time together. We, we do this reflect and repent and pray portion. And what I want to do is I'm just going to reread the passage again, and I want you to just kind of reflect. I want you to just reflect on God's word spoken to you, his requirements of you. And as we read through this, and as you think back on this passage, I would ask that you would be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And if the Spirit of the Lord has moved on you to say, hey, check that, brother, sister, check that. You need to repent for that. Use this opportunity to repent. We're going to sing a song. And you don't have to tell me your sins. You don't have to say them out loud. It's just between you and the Lord. We're going to sing a song. And during that song, you can use that opportunity to repent before the Lord for violating these commandments. Because, friends, here's the big deal about this passage. When you read this, you recognize there's not a single person in this room or any room anywhere who is not been guilty of breaking this passage. There's no one, every single one of you, we're not the wise ones with understanding. We're the unwise fools in this passage. Jesus was the one who walked these things. Jesus was the one who did these things. He was the wise one who discerned the will of God, who didn't get drunk and waste his life, who lived his life in light of God's call on his life. Jesus is the one. And because of that, we do as he did.
So let's read it together. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that we have been guilty of every single transgression, of breaking every single one of those demands on our life, that we have not walked carefully, that we didn't use our time well, that we didn't invest in wise things and things that, which are according to your will. And then I confess, Lord, that I'm guilty of not being thankful at all times and for all things. And so I ask for myself here, Father, that you would reveal sin in our hearts and allow us to confess those sins. Because we know that when we confess, you are faithful to clean us of all unrighteousness, to forgive us. So as we sing, Father, I pray you move upon your people to reflect, to repent, and to pray. In Jesus' name, amen.